Welcome to The Mountain Podcast. The Mountain Church is dedicated to helping people love Jesus and the people they encounter every day. Today, you will listen to our most recent Sunday sermon. So sit back, relax, and let Jesus speak to you wherever you may be. And now, this week's sermon. Let's jump into uh, God's Word. Let's jump into the series we've been having going this month, which is a series about Elijah but really it's a series about going from the expression of one heroic kind of symbolic figure uh, to the expression of many. Uh, so when Jesus died, rose from the dead, and then ascended into heaven, Holy Spirit was sent for each of us. So the Holy Spirit does a work in our life. Uh, and so each one of us is mobilized in a way that, that used, the mobilization used to be Old Testament, uh, Elijah's and Moses's and such, prophet representation. God would move through expressions of individuals that would uh, eventually become iconic figures, heroes, and such. Uh, And so what we see now in this new covenant, modern expression is we see that God in you, God in you, God in you, God in me, God in you, God in you, uh, makes up the full power dynamic that this city is supposed to experience, that this community is supposed to experience. So we're going to draw from a story in the Bible today because we're going to talk about power and love today uh, because we've been talking about one to many. Uh, Today we're going to be talking about power and love and power and love uh, and how to deal with rejection Uh, because as power gets redistributed from one single heroic representative to the many, uh, that dispersion of power, that, that diversity of power it really does require us to have an insight to this vision of love and the standard of love because this power that is inside of us from God, it's meant to be yielded to the standard of love. And so power without the recognition of love can be reckless. It could be damaging, uh, et cetera, et cetera. We've seen powerful people have great devastating effect in society throughout history. Uh, and uh, you look at dictators and such, there's a lot of power there, a lot of destruction and damage. So with Jesus, there is this recognition that when capable, when power is an option, the question of love and what would Jesus do really does tailor what we do with that power and that ability. So ability doesn't dictate our, our actions Uh, love is supposed to dictate our actions. So we're going to pull from a story in Luke 9, and it's going to reference a story in 1 Kings 2. So if you open up your scriptures to Luke 9, um, we see that it says, Now it came to pass when the time had come for him to be received up, that he steadfastly set his face to go to Jerusalem, and sent messengers before his face. And as they went, they entered a village of the Samaritans, Remember the Samaritans and the, the Jewish folks, they did not have a great connection. They were, they were not on good terms together. And they sent him ahead to the Samaritans to prepare for him. But they did not receive him because his face was set for the journey to Jerusalem. So two things, when it's talking about this, it was soon time for Jesus to die and go to heaven and, and, and ascend into heaven. So the time was coming and the departure time was near. And so Jesus has his face set to Jerusalem because this is God's will for his life. So Jesus was going upon, as we know about Jesus, he did everything as he saw Father doing. So he was going about what God had him doing. 
And so he was on his way to Jerusalem. He had set his convictions in place to go in that direction. And they hit a spot where the community, the people, the disciples, Jesus experienced rejection. And this is an important thing to consider what happens here. Because where we experience rejection, we're going to have a real trial. We're going to have a temptation to utilize power in a way that is damaging. But Jesus is going to give us an invitation of love in those places of rejection. So let's see what happened. And when his disciples came, James and John saw this. They said, Lord, (laughs) do you want us to command fire to come down from heaven and consume them just as Elijah did? Isn't that cool? Have any of you been rejected and tried to pray fire on that person? Yeah, yeah. How many of you have experienced serious rejection in your life over the last six months from a friend, coworker, boss, employer? How many of you really, really enjoyed the rejection that came? You were super excited about it, stoked on the rejection. Give me some more, please. Seconds, please, please, sir. Can I have some more? Rejection isn't something that we typically in our human nature just absolutely love, adore, thrive, and really, really want more of, like ice cream. Rejection is a thing that more often than not hits a trigger point, hits a nerve, hits a sensitive spot for us. And much like the disciples' desire here was to vanquish those who rejected them, to call down fire from heaven. That's a pretty permanent request. Like those people, if Jesus had been like, yeah, let's do it, and God sent fire, those people weren't coming back from that. Like, they weren't going to get saved. They weren't going to get a second chance. Those people will have been destroyed. And they said in this scripture here, well, like, let's do it like Elijah did it. Because as you know, Elijah called down fire from heaven, Mount Carmel, altars burned up, prophets of Baal burned up. But also Elijah called down fire on another circumstance that we're going to reference here. Because it's going to teach us, and there's a parallel difference here. There's a, there's a paradigm shift that's needing to be taking place in our mindset that as we've, as we've received power from God, there is this invitation, there is this requirement in Jesus to love well, which means that we respond differently when people reject us. We don't use our power to punish them or destroy them, but we, in fact, respond to love, and, and, and the response will ask something different of us. That invitation of love will ask something different of us. So what do we see with Elijah? We see in 2 Kings 1, 1 through 18, we see this story, which I'm going to summarize for you. But it starts with Ahaziah, a king who was the son of Ahab, and he was wicked, guys. Like, really? He was evil. It says that he was evil in the Bible. And it says that he led Israel to sin. So we have this king, which is wicked and evil, and it's leading others to sin. And so this king falls through a lattice and gets injured. And when he falls through this lattice and gets injured, he asks his servants to go and find, uh, let's get the name right here, uh, Baalzebub, the god of Ekron, whether I shall recover from this injury. So he inquires of a false god about his future. And you can understand how this is not a good thing and how he was supposed to inquire of God, perhaps, or a prophet of the Lord about his future and what was going to take place. But he inquired, right? And I think it's important that we understand that when we inquire of someone or something, it's actually revealing what we trust. 
So in your lives, when you hit a place uh, of trouble and trial, whatever you in your heart look to inquire to or about, you can actually recognize there's a certain degree of trust in that power or that revelation or that insight. And maybe it's a good thing that you trust. Maybe it's a good person. Maybe it's a good trusted source. Maybe it's the voice of God. That's okay. But whatever you inquire of, it reveals what your heart trusts. It's important that we see this because here in this situation, it was a problem. That which the king trusted was actually against the will of God for his life and the kingdom's life. And so Elijah gets this insight of what happened. And he gets a word from God that says that, hey, this king, because he inquired of Beelzebub about his future, he's going to die in the bed that he is in right now as a result of his injuries. So Elijah goes to that place and he goes to deliver this word to this king. Anyways, he ends up delivering it to the king's servants. The king's servants bring it to the king. It's 18 verses. That's why I'm paraphrasing here. The servants give it to the king. The king's like, who gave you this? And they're like, uh, this guy with a thing and a thing. You know, he had a belt and he had hair. You know, that's basically their description. I'm like, that's not very helpful if you ask me. Hair and a belt? That could be anybody. But anyways, they're like, Elijah. And so he's got a belt. He's got hair. And he gave you this word. And then the king <clears throat> commands a captain and 50 soldiers to go get Elijah. Now, this was a hostile act. This was not done in warmth. This was not done in happiness. This was true rejection, and this was an attempt to capture Elijah. I did not like the word you gave, so I'm sending the military force to apprehend you and to capture you. So in this instance, when this takes place, Elijah is not there, and they go to get him. And Elijah says this phrase, and I think it's going to be important for us to read here. So, so Elijah answered when they said to a man of God, the king said, come down, exclamation point. There's an exclamation point on that, which it said with a certain amount of fervor and intensity. Uh, I always text and put an exclamation point so people know I'm not mad. You guys have tricks and texts that you do so people know how you feel? I send texts a lot, and so like I'm texting, and I'm like, hey, how are you doing, exclamation point, question mark, because I don't want them to think I'm like, hey, how are you doing, you know, and I'm mad or something. So anyways, they're like, hey, the king wants you, come down. Elijah answered and said to the captain of 50, if I am a man of God, then let fire come down from heaven and consume you and your 50 men. And... Fire came down from heaven and consumed him and his 50. 51 people just died from fire, from heaven. And not only that, but a second captain comes with his 50 men and does the same thing. And fire comes down from heaven a second time. This is wild that the second captain even came to me. Like, that's wild that that captain didn't get news and just leave, ditch that whole mission and just never go back. But he did the same thing. Third captain got smart and he appealed to Elisha. He even came in a way that was humble and gracious. And then a long story short, the end of it was that uh, Elijah went to the king as a response of how the third captain approached him, gave him the word, and then the king died. So we see that Elijah was rejected in similar case or uh, in, a, in a similar way that Jesus was rejected by a village and Elijah was rejected by this king. So we see the way re Elijah responded to rejection and what he did in rejection. And we see the way Jesus responds in rejection, 
which was this. And if you go back and read, and I'm setting the foundation for us here. But he turned and rebuked them. This is Jesus talking to his disciples after they wanted to bring down fire on these guys. He turned and rebuked them and said, you do not know what manner of spirit you are of, for the Son of Man did not come to destroy men's lives, but to save them. And they went on to another village. So what do we see here? We see two examples of how uh, we can deal with rejection. And oftentimes in our life, we have to really recognize when we're being rejected, and we've got to understand what the heart of Jesus would have us do. Was Jesus capable of calling down fire on the Samaritans? Yes. Was it God's will that he called down fire on the Samaritans? No, it was actually God's will that Jesus would go to Jerusalem. This is where his face was fixed to go to Jerusalem because he was to go and die. He was going for a purpose and a reason that God had willed. Sometimes along your journey and path, you're experiencing rejection. And in fact, you're experiencing rejection because you're not even supposed to be there. Sometimes you don't get jobs because they're not the jobs that God wants you to have. And I don't want you and I to start to become superstitious Christians like, oh, I didn't get it. I guess it means I'm not supposed to be here. Because sometimes you didn't get the job because you didn't dress right. You didn't interview right. You weren't equipped. You didn't have any job experience. Or you had a booger hanging out your nose the whole time. And they just couldn't hire somebody that had a booger in an interview. And it's that simple, you know. So pick the booger, go back to another interview, and you're good. But, but it's really important that we recognize, like, what are, the, what are the priorities and what are the highest and greatest things that are supposed to shape our life? I'll tell you this, power is not supposed to dictate your actions. Ability should not dictate your actions. I have the ability to do all kinds of things. Only some of them are good in God's will. So ability and capability should not define what you do every single day. Otherwise, you'll just do whatever is in your interest and then power will be applied to your will. So the highest and the greatest order of how this thing should go is what's God's will for my life first and foremost. And if you read the scripture and you understand that it says God is love. This is one equals one. This is amazing. This is like how many points in scripture does it say like God is that period? Like this just amazing to me. And it really outlines to me that look, the enemy has power, right? The devil has power. God has power that's greater. We know this. But, but this is to say this, is that power isn't inherently loving. Power isn't inherently holy. Power isn't inherently going to build people, isn't going to help people. Sometimes power has one Lord entering into another town, slaying all of its soldiers and taking that territory. Because that person was capable and had the power, they took and this is important that we see that we have all kinds of ability, we have all kinds of gifts, and we have all kinds of power, but that doesn't necessarily inform us about what we should be doing. So when you experience rejection, your knee-jerk reaction as a human being may be power, destroy. Fire from heaven, cut them off, destroy them, fight them, cut them down. It may be your human instinct at that point. I would even go as far as saying it's very human of us that when somebody rejects us, we want to in some way destroy, defeat, or fight them. And when you really have, you, when you have this first instinct and reaction, you've got to pause. You've got to pause. I remember when, uh, I remember, I, so I do a, a business, like a side business. Uh, uh, I run out 
Teslas on Turo. Have any of you guys heard of this? It's like Airbnb, but for car rentals, right? So I rent out these Teslas and I've had like over a hundred trips and I've only ever had one non-five-star review. This person was obviously an agent of the devil and uh, (laughs) I've only had one. And guys, I'm going to give you the whole full quick summary here. It took me 25 days to not be mad and write a nice review back to his review. For the first 25 days, I thought about the review I wanted to give back to his review because you can comment under the review. And all of, my, all of my renditions I came up with were scathing. All of them were dismantling. All of them were destructive. Every single one of them called into question his integrity as a man. Uh, no, that's exaggerative. No, but every single one of them was contentious, wasn't loving, was aggressive, was, was frustrated, was angry, you know? 25 days, I know it's 25 days because you have a limit of 30 days to respond or you have no chance. So I was like, I'm on a budget here of time. Like I got to figure out God's heart and love and I got to figure out how to respond in a loving, excellent way because he had rejected my service and he had told everybody about it. I was super frustrated. 25 days it took me to come up and get to that place of like love, humility and some kind of nice blah, 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 blah. Some kind of stupid, humble response, right? No. At that point, I had gotten to that place, so I was happy to. The, the idea, though, here is, is in rejection, I had an opportunity to go, that person's foolish. That person's stupid. It's all their fault. They messed up. That's why they didn't like their experience. This isn't on me at all. And that would have been my first reaction, and that would have been my first 25 days of response, some version of that. And then about day 24, 25, I start thinking about it like, okay, how can I actually grow from this? Like, what can I learn from this rejection? And what can I do to grow in this business and in this role? And so I found some things. I found some things that I could grow in. I found some increased communication things I could do. I found da 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 right? And so I was able to learn from the rejection eventually. But I really had to lean into what can I do to grow? Because in our first human instinct, power would have us reject, deny, reject back, deny any significance in that person, destroy them, ruin their reputation or their their ability to hurt you anymore, take away their weapons, take away their friends, get their mom to even hate them eventually, you know? So, So in power, sometimes when you've been rejected, you get hurt and you're afraid. And so you want to disempower whoever it is that hurts you whoever it is that rejected you. And this is our first instinct in our humanity and our selfishness at times, but it's important that we don't utilize our power according to our humanistic selfish mindsets. But that power is only utilized and applied to God's loving direction. And this is a really, really hard thing. Like if I were to create a visual expression of this thing, I was thinking of in worship, think of love as the master and power as the dog on a leash. Love, God should be dictating and determining what power is capable of, how far it can go, how far it can't go, when it it shouldn't be let off the leash, when it can be let off the leash and just run around the park. Like love should set the order of power's expression and application, not vice versa. Love shouldn't be shut in a closet so the dog can go about doing whatever it wants. I love my little honey Lulu. She's amazing. But man, she needs me and just a little bit to, to help her 
behave right, right? She's perfect, but sometimes she pees on the floor or something like that. I believe it's out of some version of perfection, like she wants to be close to me or something like that. You know, she can't go too far for me. Uh, so she can't go downstairs and outside anyways. My dog's perfect. If anyone says otherwise, fire from heaven. No. Uh, <laughs> so when we see these places of rejection, we've got to lean into the way God is trying to grow us. And now God didn't necessarily bring the rejection, but he's definitely trying to grow you and trying to grow me in the midst of that rejection. Because sometimes we, we get rejected and there's actually something to really learn in it. Sometimes it's not that that person's dumb and that they can't see my value. Sometimes it's that you lack the excellence you should have to get that opportunity. Or you lack the skill that you, is required to get that opportunity. I was listening to this one TED Talks. This guy did this really cool journey. It was 100 days of rejection. And what he would do is every single day he would go and ask a really bold ask in some way. The first time was if he could borrow $100 from his friend. That was the first one he came up with. First thing he did, oh, he tried it. The guy said no, and he was embarrassed. He barely even let the guy finish his answer. And he, this guy that was doing this journey, he had a real problem with rejection, a fear of rejection, insecurity. This is why he was going on the journey. And so, of course, the first time it was a debacle. His friend barely got a chance to say no, and he was already like, oh, I'm sorry. And he was like shuffling away. And so he's like, oh, man, wow, I didn't even like really sit in it. I didn't even like let the guy answer barely. And so each no and each place of rejection taught him something to the point where he actually went to this neighbor, knocked on the door, and he said, hey, uh, you know, he went to a neighborhood, not even his neighbor. He said, hey, I got this flower. And he had a flower in his hand, right, in a pot. And he's like, I'd like to plant it in your backyard. Could you imagine a random stranger asking you to go in your backyard and plant a flower? So as you can imagine, the first guy said no, but this guy who was asking had learned to ask questions about the no, right? Initially, he was just running away. The no was no, and he just ran away. But then he started to learn to ask questions so that he could grow in understanding. He could learn. And so he asked me, he goes, okay, that's fine. Can I ask why? And the guy goes, yeah, you know, like I'd be, I'd be fine with it, but I, every plant I have dies. Uh, all the flowers die, everything. So I feel like you'd be wasting your time but you know what? So-and-so across the street, she loves flowers. I bet you she would be great for it. So he went across the street. Sure enough, the lady said yes, and he planted a flower in her backyard. So what does this guy do? All throughout all of these hundred days of dealing with rejection and trying to confront this fear of rejection, he starts to learn how to partner better with people. Like he realized that guy didn't say no because he hated him and thought he was a creep. He said no because he recognized that he wouldn't actually be able to steward the gift he was trying to give. And that's totally different. So it tears down these false assumptions of why people are rejecting us. Sometimes we think they're rejecting us because we're stupid or we're ugly or whatever. But really, a lot of times people have decent reasons to go a different direction. And this specific situation, the Samaritans rejected Jesus because his face was set towards Jerusalem. It literally says it. It says they did not receive him because his face was set for the journey to Jerusalem, which means that there couldn't be a partnership because the direction Jesus was going in wasn't the direction that they could support. But when you're walking with Jesus and somebody can't support you as a result of it, that's not hurtful to you. You're cool. 
You're like, hey, they just don't want to support Jesus or his will for my life. And that's different than them personally rejecting me because I'm stupid or ugly or incapable. So when I'm walking with God and somebody doesn't want to work with me as a result of it, I'm not mad at them. I'm just like, okay, cool, I got you. I understand. And I'm, I'm comfortable to lovingly go a different direction and not call down fire on them. You see the difference? It just takes a slight shift and adjustment in your perspective. Because when we're really committed to love, Ephesians 4 talks about uh, take the truth in love, speak the truth in love, so that we all may grow into the head Christ. So when you're able to take truth and power and you're able to place it in love, it's actually meant for the benefit of people, for the growth of people. If you only know how to utilize your power in some kind of fire from heaven way to vanquish your enemies and those who have rejected you, you haven't learned to go on the gospel mission of Jesus, which is to love those who are cursing you to love those who are fighting you, to love those who are rejecting you, and to bring truth and power in love to those people because the goal is growth, not destruction. This can inform you of every relationship and partnership. That when there isn't a partnership there, that's okay. Right? It's okay that there's not a partnership reception there and you can stay in the pocket humbly and ask questions. Hey, can I I ask you why? Can I ask you why you didn't want to partner with me in that way? hey, can I ask you why you didn't want to be my friend? <laughs> I remember this one time I was a kid and my, my dad told me, he was like, hey, you don't ask these kinds of questions. I asked this kid if he was my friend. <laughs> I, was like, I was a kid, right? So I was like, are you my friend? <laughs> and uh, I can't remember what he said, but I do remember what my dad said, which is like, hey, no, like, don't ask that question. He's like, just be a friend and, and they'll be a friend back probably, but if not, that's okay. Like, you know, it's kind of like a, I asked it out of insecurity, right? I asked it out of like, are, are you my friend? Please, please be my friend. And it's a real fear of like, are we not friends? When it was kind of obvious we were, I think he was over at my house hanging out. It's like, we're friends, you know? It was like when Jess and I started dating, she didn't know we were dating, but I did. And she's not here. She always leaves when I talk about her. I, I promise I don't time it like that. <laughs> or I do. But If you really learn not to take fire and power and the ability you have to destroy someone who rejects you and instead ask a loving what would Jesus do question about your life and their life, it'll actually teach you a lot more. You'll grow. They'll grow. Right? And actually the disciples right here, if they were insightful to what was happening, they would have been like, wait, the Samaritans aren't accepting you. That's odd. That's kind of odd. Why aren't they accepting you, Jesus? Well, because you've got positive experiences, women are well and such like that. Why aren't they accepting you? This is really interesting. And then because your face is set towards Jerusalem, Jesus, why is your face set towards Jerusalem? And if you just, you see in that place right there, instead of being infuriated over the rejection of the Samaritans, it could have illuminated in their hearts and minds what Jesus was doing and why Jesus was doing it, what God was doing in the earth. Because a couple of questions in, check it out. Jesus, the Samaritans have rejected us. Jesus, I got rejected in this job. Why? Why did I get rejected? And then even asking and following up with the potential employer who rejected you, why didn't I get this job? All of a sudden you have a chance to learn and the Israelites right there, okay, Jesus, why did we get rejected by these Samaritans? Is it because Samaritan and Jewish uh, issues, it's like a race issue? Or, Or what's the reason that you got rejected? 
And he would have been like, well, my face is set towards Jerusalem. God has called me to Jerusalem. He's leading me in that direction. And this is where we're supposed to go. And this is why they did not receive us. And then they could ask, well, why are you going to Jerusalem? And why are you doing this, Jesus? Like, why are we going in that direction? And it really, maybe three or four questions in, they would have found out, well, I'm going to die. And they would have been like, all right, hold on. Time out. What? We went from wanting to call down fire on Samaritans in some kind of race war situation to now you're telling me that your future is to die? When you can get past rejection, you can learn more about Jesus. Long-suffering, like it's a fruit of the Spirit to long-suffer. So when you learn to take rejection and see it as suffering, like you are suffering, and how do you go past that place of suffering, or how do you endure through that suffering? You can keep your wits about you, and you can continue to learn. You can continue to have insight. You can continue to see humility grow. And, and all of a sudden, instead of wanting to punish and destroy people because they've rejected you, you can love yourself and others more fully. One thing I've noticed about rejection is that when I'm able to lean in and endure it, I grow to love myself more. Because at first, rejection tells you you're trash. At first, rejection tells you you're not worthy. And then you hear God tell you that you're a treasure. You hear God tell you you're, you're saved, you're redeemed, you're all these things. You're worthy. You hear God say something different than what your message interpretation was of rejection. And it's really important to see this. Like God's not, he's not partnering with that narrative. He's not saying about you what you think rejection is saying about you. And when you can see what God is saying about you in the midst of rejection, you can grow and you can actually, at times, save lives. So Jesus is like, I didn't come to destroy people. I came to save people. So when that person rejects your gospel presentation the first time, the second time, the third time, the fourth time, the fifth time, you don't fret. You don't take it personal as some kind of I'm trash I'm not a good evangelist interpretation. You take it as like, I wonder why they, is, I wonder what I can learn in my presentation of Jesus. And then you could ask them, like, hey, when I talk about Jesus, it looks like you, you hate me. Do you hate me? And they're like, no, I just hate when you talk about Jesus. Okay, why? Is it the way I'm presenting Jesus or is it Jesus? Like, have you actually experienced Jesus or am I just not a good reteller of who Jesus is right now? See, all of a sudden you ask a couple of whys about it and you can grow and you can learn. Uh, as I'm jumping into business more, it's like really exciting and fun because there's so many pragmatics ways you could just learn. Like you're like, oh, I did that and it didn't have a great effect and, and there was loss in it. Okay, well, cool. How do I change that? How do I fix that? How do I repair that? Jesus, what are you doing in my life? And I notice that I'm an optimist. Anybody else in here an optimist? I'm an optimist. And I got to finish soon here. I'm an optimist. And optimists sometimes don't enjoy negativity. Any negative folks in here? Get out. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> so sometimes when I know I got a sense there's something I got to look into and it's kind of like, oh, dude, what a bore, man. The sanguine in me, the guy in me that wants to have fun and be optimistic is like, oh, man, let's not look into that potential problem, you know? 
can work itself out. Absolutely. And sometimes it does, and sometimes it does not. So you got to learn to lean into these places so that you can grow, and you got to learn to lean into other people's places like this. So when they have fear, and, and Elijah, he, there was one point where the third guy came up to him and was like, hey, da 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 and, and, and God said to him, he said, he said, go down with him, do not be afraid of him. Which means on the first two occasions, there was a fear for Elijah, similar to how he, Jezebel threatens his life, and he's afraid of the threat. So now two waves of a threat take place, and now God is teaching him something, which is not to be afraid when men threatens you. When you're standing with God, go and do not be afraid. See, God confronts fear in Elijah at that point, and he's like, don't be afraid. And when we have fear in these places, it's really hard for us to grow. It's really hard for us to partner with God's word. When we have fear in these places, love is nearly impossible to express. The Bible says perfect love casts out all fear. So if, re- if fear is residing and shaping your behavior, you can guarantee that love is not. First order of business, when you experience rejection, don't call down fire. Confront the fear you see triggered inside of you. Go, oh, look at that. That stinks. I didn't know that was there. Ugh. I love rejection for that reason. It reveals fear I didn't know I had. It reveals fear I did not know I had. So let's allow rejection situations to author a deliverance of fear rather than behavior that's manifested from fear. There's always a choice to proverbially call down fire on somebody who's rejected you. To act as if they don't exist, to suppress their information, to suppress their feedback. But this isn't helpful to growth. Don't always say haters are going to hate and then just brush it off. Sometimes listen to your enemy and hater and, and listen to what their criticisms are. Like when somebody tells me the church isn't loving, it's hateful, it's judgmental, I could just be like, that's a hater. That's a hater. Or I can go, are there places where we're judgmental? Are there moments where we're hateful? And I can ask a personal question because I can't control everybody, but I can ask a personal narrative question. God, am I judgmental in any situations with any people? God, am I hateful at any times? Have I hardened my heart and and do I have hate in any way? So all of a sudden that enemy, that detractor, is somebody who helped me grow with Jesus rather than somebody I just discounted as my enemy. I want to invite you today as we finish, and worship doesn't have to come up. I'm going to pray for you guys, and then we're going to, uh, I want to invite you to go up to the social with us and hang out or not. You can stay and talk here. You can pray for one another. But I want to pray for you because I want to partner in this place of perfect love casting out fear. I want to partner in this place of, of power that is yielded to love. You see, Jesus was powerful. He also resurrected from the dead. So this love that we're talking about, it's not wishy-washy. It's not without a spine. It's not weak. God is powerful and God is loving. So what we're looking at here is a power that is yielded to the nature of God's love. You guys down with me on this journey? Let's bow your heads and close your eyes. We're going to pray. Ah, Jesus, we are so grateful. We're so thankful. Lord, in those places where we're tempted to utilize power to hurt and destroy those who are detractors.
those who have rejected us. I pray, God, that we would hear your still small voice. We'd accept the invitation of love rather than the invitation of fear. We would respond to a place of humility and growth. And God, that you would lead us into repentance. Lead us into repentance in these ways that we've operated in anger, frustration, and power to hurt and defend ourselves, to hurt others and defend ourselves, God. I pray that your Holy Spirit would be poured out on our hearts and our minds. The Spirit of Jesus poured out in this place. Yeah, I want to encourage you to, uh, to take a look at the places Jesus is showing you. Jesus is revealing to you in these spots. And, and there's a recognition that you may have that you don't have the energy or the time to focus on those things. And so I want to encourage you in that place of recognizing you're fatigued and you're at your wit's end to ask God for power, to ask God for grace, to continue to walk out the loving journey. It's a, it's a tremendous cost, but God will give you grace for it. And so for those of you that have felt like you've been trying to do the right thing and you're at your wit's end, you don't have the grace anymore. You don't have the energy or power anymore. It's beyond you now. I just want you to lay your hands on your heart or lift your hands. I just want to pray that God would pour out his grace on your life. Another portion of his favor, another portion of his grace, another portion of his power for us to endure, for us to continue to remain steadfast. For in due season, we'll reap a harvest. So, Father, I'm praying that you would just pour out that harvest on this family here, God. That you pour down on my friends, on this church, that you pour down on my life, God, a resource of, of power, of energy, of grace, of insight, of mercy, compassion, and empathy. Jesus, we pray you'd pour these things out in our lives. We're so grateful, God. Heal our marriages. Heal our families. Give us the grace to stand in love and not retaliate in fear. We love you, Jesus, so much. Bless this family. Bless this community. And bless the time we're about to spend together as a community. May it bond us and connect us as a church family in a beautiful way. Amen. Thank you for listening to The Mountain Podcast. The Mountain Church is located in Las Vegas, Nevada, with services happening every Sunday at 9 a.m. and 11 a.m. If you'd like to know more about The Mountain Church, please visit us at themtnchurch.com or watch one of our services on YouTube. Again, thank you for tuning in.